Listen up, in case you are unaware, that is our little promo for this year's Momentum Youth Conference, which is happening November 15th and 16th over in Springfield, Illinois. So it's an overnight trip. I want to encourage you, you can bring me that Haley real quick to sign up. Uh, one of the speakers that's going to be there is, is a, a, a friend of the family. She's, she's part of this ministry that we are part of here at Belmont, and her name's Maria Durso. She wrote this book a while back, and actually uh, she just finished her second book, which she's going to have available for us at Momentum, and she's also going to be at our church on Sunday. Uh, I love this book because uh, the title alone, From Your Head to Your Heart, they say the longest distance in the world is 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart. And there's a process. A lot of times we know things, but we don't know it in our heart. We, we understand in our head, but we don't fully believe in our heart. And her testimony is unbelievably powerful. As a matter of fact, I was the one that pushed really hard to have her be a speaker at Momentum. And I remember I called her up and I said, Maria, would you be willing to come out and do our conference? And she's a sweet lady. She's like, really? Pastor Joey, you want... And get this, 70-year-old me, that lady does not look 70, by the way. She's like, you want 70-year-old me to come out and talk to teenagers? And what I told her was, Maria, I'm tired of telling your story. I think they need to hear it from you. And so this is one of those great opportunities for you guys to be there. As a matter of fact, Vala, you brought a few friends here. You can give this to one of your friends. That's a free copy for them. Um, I just want to encourage you guys, be there. Michael Mack is also awesome. He's going to do a great job. But here's the bad news, maybe. Uh, we are already a little bit over halfway filled up with registration. And so if you are still interested in going, you need to do this ASAP. You cannot wait last minute because our spots are limited by uh, housing and bus room. And so once we fill up um, those things, there's nothing we can really do about it. So for last second, last day, you're like, PJ, I want to go. Man, I'd hate to have to look you in the eye and say you can't, but that's what I'll have to do because there's no more room. So it's first come, first serve. If you want to be a part of it, please make sure that you sign up. Amen? All right, a couple more things. Tomorrow we got small groups, so just make sure that you're there. Like I said, Jonathan and Emily are going to be getting married this weekend. My wife and I are having our baby shower. There's a lot of stuff going on, so please be praying for us. We're excited for all that God is doing in our ministry. Um, but for those of you who are maybe new, we've been in this series this month called One Up. And it's a video game series, right, where each week we're taking a video game as kind of a theme to what we're going to be talking about that night. So how many remember what was the first video game we looked at? Mario Kart. So we talked about Mario Kart and uh, running the race that God has for us. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? Mortal Kombat. We talked about the spiritual fight that God has in this life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I kind of laughed because I, I was talking to some of the leaders last week about the Mortal Kombat thing. And they were like, I don't think our students are going to know that. And I'm like, what do you mean? They don't, of course Mortal Kombat. And here's the deal. I just forget that I'm, like, old enough to be some of your dad, okay? I, I've been doing this so long that I literally forget that um, most of you were born before or after 9-11. Most of you were born after I graduated high school. So it makes me feel old. So don't do that. Uh, but... I forget. And so tonight we're going to do something a little bit closer to home for you. Tonight's theme is going to be based on a video game that, honestly, I've never even played. I want to talk to you a little bit about Fortnite. How many of you guys play Fortnite in the house? How many Fortnite? Raise your hand if you play Fortnite. All six of you play Fortnite. How many of you have never in your life played it? Raise your hand. You've never even touched it. 
Thank you, Jesus. It's mostly women. Uh, now, here's the deal. For those of you who haven't played, I haven't played either, okay? I've never played the game. But here's what I understand, and later on, if, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But here's what I understand. Fortnite is a, a free game that you can play on all platforms. So whether you have PlayStation or Xbox or whatever, it's an online game. It's a one player, right? You get on one console, one player. But virtually, you all meet up in this world, and it's kind of a battle royale. It's, it's last man standing, different things like that. And that sounds cool. And I'm sure a lot of you, when you were trying to convince your mom and dad to let you get the game, your major selling point was this. But mom, it's free. How many said that, right? But mom, it's free. And to a mom and dad, free is, is amazing. Free is like catnip, right? They're like, oh, my God, free, yes. Whatever's free, do it, okay? And so you sold your mom and dad on the idea that it's free. But we all know Fortnite's not free. Of course it's not free. I mean, it's free to play, but not to win, right? Because when you get into Fortnite, you quickly realize that in order to compete on the level that everyone else is competing on, the game forces you to buy certain things, right? You buy things like skins or different outfits that they wear. You buy things like weapons. You buy things, I don't know, what are some other things you might buy? Huh? Wraps? Oh, wraps, like camouflage up there. So you buy stuff like that. You, do you buy the dances, the little dances that they do? Okay, so you buy all these things. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have paid for things on Fortnite? Just be honest. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have paid for things without letting your mom and dad know you did? Oh, how much did you go over, bro? Ballpark. Ballpark. Huh? Over $300? Bro, if you ask me for a scholarship to Momentum, I'll slap you. $300? Oh, Wait, I thought the game was free. It's not free. It's not free. And you know what it is? It's because it's digital and the credit card is on the thing and you're just pushing a button and it's so easy to push a button. See, the game, it's sold like it's free, but we know that it's really not free. See, you start out by promising that it's free, but you quickly realize that if you want to compete, it's not free. The game is free to play, but winning will cost you. And I think it's important in that sense to really understand what's the actual cost. See, whenever somebody's trying to sell me something and they say that it's free, my eyebrows go up. I'm like, whoa, 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 what do you mean free? What's it going to really cost me, right? It's like, oh, man, we got this special offer and it's free. And I'm like, What's the little, little letters? Or you ever see like in, in like drug commercials where they're like, try Proaxian. You know, it does this, it does that. And then at the end they're like, might cause death, diarrhea, death by diarrhea. And you're like, what? I don't want to try that drug no more, right? They like say it really fast, pretending like you ain't going to notice. You got to rewind. Like, did they just say death by diarrhea? Wow, no, that is not how I want to go. Right? You got to listen to what's really going on and you got to find out. Hey, we're going to, you know, it's like saying, hey, we're giving away free lemonade. Oh, dope, free lemonade. Yeah, the cup costs $15. Dang. <laughs> right? So people will get you in that sense. And sometimes the way to lure you in is to tie that up and it makes it sound like, hey, this is free. And you got to decide, well, is it worth it? You got to look at this situation. You got to decide for yourself, is the cost worth what I'm getting. 
And sometimes it's not, but then other times it absolutely is. How many of you know in your family you're getting that new Disney Plus thing that's coming out? Anybody getting Disney Plus? All right, I'm going to tell you right now, in case you don't know. Me and the family, we looked at it. We're like, yo, we are getting Disney Plus. Why? The second it said it had all the Disney movies that ever existed, I'm thinking I got a little baby girl coming in eight weeks. She's going to have all the Disney content. We're going to watch Little Mermaid together, right? I'm going to be all swole like Triton trying to raise my little girl. Like, she's going to be all the little princesses. I'll be the beast. She could be Belle. Beautiful Halloween costume, by the way. Like, we're going to watch all these Disney movies. And then I'm a huge Star Wars fan. It had all the Star Wars content. But you know where they really got me is it had all the seasons of The Simpsons. And, and The Simpsons co-parented me, you know, like growing up. And so I got to go back to my dad and, and be like, hey, I, this is what I was raised on. I looked at everything it offered the content, and Disney, bro, they gangsters, man. They, they straight up just destroyed Netflix. You're like, oh, Netflix, by the way, all that stuff that we gave you, we want it back. And they just took all their content, put it on their own platform, and now they're about to blow it up with this new game. And I'm just looking at it like, yo, it's worth it. See, whatever it is, you got to look at the situation, and you got to decide, is this worth the price? Is this worth the cost of what we're trying to get? Now, how does that apply to us tonight? Well, here's the deal. I think sometimes people have painted Christianity in a weird way. And what do I mean by that? People have tried to get you to buy Christianity or to buy into Christianity by telling you, hey, if you say yes to Jesus, all your problems go away. Hey, if you say yes to Jesus, then nothing bad will ever happen to you again. If you say yes to Jesus, you won't have any more depression, you won't have any more anxiety, you won't have any more issues. They try to sell it in a way that I don't think Jesus ever tried to sell it. And a lot of times, because we want to fill rooms rather than fill heaven, we, we paint it and we twist it in a way just to get you to come back. Just to get you to continue to fill the room. But here's what I've discovered when I read my Bible is that Jesus was very honest about what it meant to be his disciple. He never tried to con anybody. He never tried to do the old switch and bait and pretend to sell you something that it wasn't. He was never dishonest about anything that meant to God. As a matter of fact, more often than not, he tried to talk people out of it. He would say things like, hey, listen, this is what it's going to take if you really want to follow me. And the Bible tells that more often than not, after people would hear what it took, they would leave. Instead of continuing to follow him, they would say, you know what, that's just too much. I can't do that, and I'm going to walk away. And what I love about Jesus is he never chased them. He never said, okay, okay, wait, 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 let's compromise, let's compromise. Um, how about just, you know, you just give a little bit of your life. How about, you know, instead of weed, we just cut out the weed, but you can still smoke cigarettes. Or instead of, you know, uh, nine wives, you can have five wives. Right? He didn't compromise. He didn't balance it out just to keep you. He's like, okay, that's on you then. Because he understood the value of what he was really offering you. And so I want to talk to you guys tonight about the cost and about counting the cost. Really examining what does it mean <clears throat> to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what is it going to cost me. So if you have notes, I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, 
hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Now let me pause right there. Think about this. He got a whole crew, a crowd with him. Most of us, if we had a crowd of followers, if you think about this, if you were, were one of those uh, you know, YouTube stars and you had a ton of subscribers, you're not going to say things on your channel that's going to cause subscribers to unsubscribe. You're not going to ruffle feathers. You're not going to say anything. I mean, you think about it right now. I don't know how into this you are, but I was watching on the news. Uh, there was this whole thing going on between the NBA and China. China's having a battle with Hong Kong over who's going to own Hong Kong. Hong Kong wants to be its own thing. China's like, no, you belong to us. And they're their own fight. Well, the NBA gets a lot of money from China, like a lot of money. And somebody in the general office, one of those uh, higher ups from the Houston Rockets, put a tweet out in support of Hong Kong. And China's like, NBA, you're out. And then canceled a bunch of their events and kicked them out of China. And suddenly you see NBA players like, yo, 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 China, I'm sorry, we love you. It was not our business. We didn't. Why are they saying all this? Because you just messed with their money. Because it's not just the NBA, it's the individual players that are getting so much money from China because they're popular out there, that they realize, no, 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 you're, you're, you're costing us our personal wealth. And so we're willing to back down and compromise in order to make sure that China's not mad at us. And we can get into more of that. But here's the deal. A lot of times we do that. We start to follow Jesus until we realize that it costs us something. And then we start to back off. Then we start to go, whoa, 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 no, no, maybe, maybe it's not worth it or maybe not right now because I, I thought this was just free. I didn't think it was going to cost me this. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I got this whole crowd, but I ain't worried about the crowd leaving me because I'd rather you follow me with the right idea in mind. And so what does he say? Hey, listen, if you really want to be my disciple, that word disciple means a student of. If you really want to follow me and learn from me, you have to hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, again, people can get confused with that verse. They can misunderstand and say, are you telling me Jesus wants me to hate my life? He wants me to hate my mom, to hate my dad. So I'm like, I already hate them. That's another thing. It's another night when I get into that right now. But listen, it's important you look at the top. He says, you must hate everyone else by what? Compared to who? Compared to him. See, I read this earlier and I thought it was cool. Sometimes the greatest danger to the best is what you love second best. Sometimes the greatest danger to the best in your life is what you love second best. Because that's competing with top bill. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's not giving you a free ride to hate people. He's very clear in the Bible that you're not allowed to hate anybody. But what he is saying, in comparison to me, you should hate them. In other words, I should be so high on your priority list. I should be so high in your level of love that anyone, be it your mother, father, brother, sister, or even yourself, who tries to take that spot, you got to hate them. And that idea of hate, again, it's not, it's just this aggressiveness, right? So it's like, uh, you ever had somebody, some of you guys are like this, you ever had somebody who hates people cutting? Like, I remember when I was a kid in school, I would always cut lines. And you always had this one person who always took it personal. And I was like, hey, no cutting. And I'm like, bro, get out, get out of my face with that, right? I was like, come on, no cutting. And I'm like, shut up. That's probably my wife. I swear my wife was a no cutter, right? And why? Because they, they, it almost felt like they hated you. No, it's not that they necessarily hate you. It's that they don't want you to get ahead on that list. 
And so what you have to do, Jesus is saying, is if you really want to be my disciple, you have to be so passionate about me having the number one spot in your life that anything that tries to compete with that number one spot gets aggression. Think about it like this, if I can use it in different terms. You ever had like a best friend who suddenly got into a relationship and it wasn't a good relationship? You know what I mean? It was not a good relationship. And you know it's not a good relationship. And they know it's not a good relationship. But what happens when you try to talk about that other person? Right? You're like, hey, you know what? He's, you don't even know him. And you're like, yo, like, why are you getting mad at me? Why are you hating me? It's not that they're hating you. It's that they're defending what they've put up as big on their list. Now, that's unhealthy. What Jesus is saying, if you're willing to be that aggressive with that, why aren't you willing to be that aggressive with me? Why aren't you willing to be that zealous when it comes to me? Let me keep going. He says, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's that person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. There's a few things that it's going to cost you if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And number one is this. Being a disciple of Jesus will cost you relationships. Being a disciple of Jesus is going to cost you some relationships. Now, I have never had to spiritually break up with somebody. I never had to be like, hey, listen, Jesus is in my life and you're the son of the devil, so you can't be in my life anymore. How many know that's just kind of rude, all right, that's just kind of bogus. Maybe it's true, but it's rude, okay. I've never had to do that. For me, it's understanding that if Christ is going that way, that's the direction I'm going. And if my friends, the people I care about, are going in the opposite direction, as much as I love them, I can't go where you're going because I'm going where he's going. And so if you want to go with me, cool, we could stay in relationship. But the second you try to get in between my relationship with God is the second I got to get distance between you and I. And again, a lot of your unbelieving friends are going to feel like that's bogus. They're going to think you're, you're better than them or that you think you're better than them. Uh, this is one of those situations where people can get really angry at you, where they can get really aggressive with you. And again, I'm not saying it's okay for you to hate them. Remember, it says in comparison. So God's not telling you it's okay to hate people. But what he is saying is be jealous about our relationship. Be jealous about what we have together so that Anyone who tries to get in the middle of that, anyone who tries to talk about your relationship with me in a negative light, you need to understand, listen, if you're not for me, you're against me, and, and I just can't have that in my life. And here's what I've discovered. With believing friends and unbelieving friends, the believers, obviously, they're going to keep going. But even the unbelievers, I split those into two different kind of people. There are some 
that are not going to like that you're pulling away, that you have a, a closer relationship with God. And usually it's people that don't have really anything going for them and misery loves company. And they don't like seeing you getting out of the situation that you guys were in together. Like we were both miserable together. We were both struggling together. And now you found this Jesus thing and you think you're better than me and you don't want to hang out with me and you don't want to talk to me. And you're sitting there going, no, I just don't want to stay where we've been. I would love to pull you out with me, but that's your decision. And if you're not willing to make that decision, I got to keep going. And there's going to be a lot of people in your life, especially as you get older, that are going to hate on any kind of advancement you make because they're not advancing with you. And you don't have to apologize for being better simply because they choose not to be. And so you have to be willing to say, listen, my relationship with God is such a high priority that I got to keep up with him. And if that means keeping up with him is separating from you, I'm willing to do that as much as I love you. You're not my God. Because here's the deal, and I'll tell you this as you get older, because right now at your age, your friends, your relationships, they're everything to you. And I get that. I've been in that situation. I understand that. But you're going to quickly understand, those of you who are seniors, you're already feeling it. Those of you who are seniors at CPS, when they're like, school's out, I'm like, bro, school's been out. <laughs> I ain't been going the last semester. <laughs> right? Those of you who are seniors, you're like, yo, I cannot wait to leave this school. Again, I, I always think about this, me and my best friend. My senior year, looking at the school, I'm being all nostalgic, you know, missing people and stuff. And I look, I'm like, man, really going to miss this place. I'm going to miss everyone here. And he goes, man, and he swore a few things. He's like, forget everybody here. I'm like, why? He goes, the people you care about, you're still seeing. The people you don't see, you never cared about. And I'm like, dang, that's a lot of wisdom from the son of the devil, but all right. <laughs> and guess what? It's true. These people that you put such a high priority on, you're going to drift away at some point. I mean, you might still be cool. You might still have a Facebook relationship. But even then, you're going to have this moment where you're walking around in the mall 10 years after graduation. You see them, and the first thing you do is like, man, I got to pretend like I'm texting somebody real quick. Because it's just been too long to talk to you. I ain't got time to catch up on 10 years, bro. I'm sorry. I'm just going to pretend like we don't know each other. But it's funny, right, because 10 years before, you would have died for them. You would have given up your relationship with God for them. But you quickly realize it's just not worth it. Because people come and go. They get married. They move away. They have kids. They get their own lives. They, people will move on. And you're still going to be wondering where you are in your relationship with God. You got to be willing to let go. And even from God's perspective, I understand that. How he wants to be number one in your life. Let me just say it like this. Ladies, give me your ear for a moment. I want you to pretend. Let's just say 10 years from now you get married. And you love this dude with everything you got. And he's a good man. Treats you right, does all the good things, right? But every time you want to make a decision about where you're going to go on vacation, how you're going to raise your kids, where you're going to live, he goes, hold on. I got to call my mom and see if she's cool with that. Hey, no, listen, I, that sounds great, honey. Let me call mommy and see if mommy likes that idea. Right? How many of you are going to be like, mm, this marriage is not going to last, Lord? Why? Because he shouldn't have to consult with another relationship. Even though his mom was probably the most important woman in his life, I am now the most important woman in your life. Right? That's the thought process. Well, why would God treat it any differently? 
Hey, listen, I get that was the most important person in your life, but you said yes to me. Now I'm the most important person in your life. So when I'm telling you we need to go in this direction, stop asking your friends if you should do that. When I'm telling you you need to let go of this part of your life or you need to stop doing these habits, stop going back to your friends and doing those things. If you're going to be with me, be with me. And if you're not going to be with me, then don't. This is the issue we have because we want what we used to have and what we want to have. And God's like, it don't work that way. If you want me, take me. And if you want them, then go with them. But you're not going to be able to have both all the time. The only way you can have both is if they're going with you towards God. And even then, as much as I love my wife, she always will come second to my Lord. As much as I love Josie, she will always come after the Lord. Does that make sense? Now, it's not only going to cost you relationships. And think about it. Jesus said your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. I mean, he went through the whole gambit. And sometimes when you break those relationships, when you lose some of those things, it hurts. And Jesus makes it clear, listen, following me, it's going to cost you suffering. It's going to hurt sometimes <clears throat> to say yes to me. Following me is going to cost you suffering. And again, a lot of times people won't tell it to you like that. They'll just be like, oh, man, you, you need to say yes to Jesus because your life is horrible and Jesus is going to make it great. And that may be true. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult situations. And again, I, I, I paint it in the same way. I love my wife. And the moment I said yes to my wife, I, I meant it and I still mean it and I'm a great with it. But our marriage isn't always perfect. There are, believe it or not, sometimes she doesn't listen to me. And our marriage would be perfect if she just always listened to me. But she doesn't. And so it's not perfect, right? That's the only reason. But in all honesty, like, there, there's just, it's not. And so just because we go through difficult times doesn't mean we end it. It means we fight through it together. And Jesus said this. He never promised you that you wouldn't go through difficult situations. What he promised is that you would never go through it alone. Jesus never said, hey, guess what? I'm going to put this bubble around you and nothing bad will ever happen to you. He said, no, you're going to go through the fire. But I'll be in the fire with you. You're going to go through some storms, but I'll be in the boat with you. You're going to go through some difficult situations, but you will never go through them alone. Listen, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. When, when he said that, when Jesus said that to this group of people at this time in history, they understood 100% what he meant. Crucifixion was not something unique to Jesus Christ. This was a form of torture and execution that the Romans and people before them had done for centuries. So what they would do is when they were going to execute you by crucifixion, they would give you at least part of that cross and you had to carry it to your death place. You know, it's the equivalent of your mom and dad going to hit you with the belt and they make you go get it. Anybody ever had that? Go get my belt. It's like, dang, I got to get hit and I got to bring you the belt. <laughs> Yo, low key, this has nothing to do with Jesus, but I'm going to say it real quick. One time, I knew I was going to get hit and I was running because my dad's like my size. So I was running and I was getting ready to run past his room. And before I did, I went in. He used to hang all his belts on the door. I took all his belts and I threw them under the bed because I knew he'd be too lazy to go under the bed to get them. And then I just kept running. I avoided the whooping that night. And then I realized my dad doesn't chase me. He just waits till I go to sleep and wakes me up. 
I live there, right? But think about that. The torture, right? Go get the belt. <laughs> you know how you cry extra hard hoping they don't hit you as much because you act like you already done been hit? And that first hit, you scream real loud just to, ah, you murdered me. Ah, you're like, and they're like, yeah, right? You, you got you to play that, man. You got to play it good. Some of y'all are dumb. Some of you, like, it don't hurt me. They just make you hit you harder. Like, mommy, the second I gave you the belt, ah, my wrist, ma. Like, I'm done already, okay? So listen, going back to Jesus, right? We got we to get back to Jesus. In, the, in these days, they would give the person to be executed their own means of execution and make them walk it. So when Jesus saying you must bear your cross, he understood this is a one-way ticket. When you are walking with your cross, you are not coming back. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and walk with me daily. What does that mean? Every day you have to decide I'm not going back. Every day you have to pick up your cross, which was a sign of suffering, and say no matter how much it hurts, I'm not going back. No matter how painful it is, I'm not going back. And listen, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 says, If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. And then it goes on to say in verse 19, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. <clears throat> this first uh, verse differentiates between two types of suffering. He makes it clear, listen, some suffering is because you're a tatara and you deserved it, Okay. Some suffering you've brought on yourself. It's not as a result of being a Christian. It's because you weren't willing to follow what God told you to do. And now you're in a situation that you put up for yourself. And sometimes we blame, oh, I'm suffering for the Lord. Nope, you were dumb. You knew you shouldn't have done that. You did it anyways. It all fell in your face. And now you're talking, oh, God, nope, 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 nope. That's on you. Okay, sorry about that. God will still bless you. God will still help you. But don't be like, God, why are you putting me through this? God didn't put you through this. You put you through this. Nobody told you to get in that relationship. Nobody told you to put your finger in the socket. You're the dummy that did it. <laughs> right? And so if you get hurt as a result of your own stupidity, he's like, don't chalk that up to me. But if you suffer for doing what is right, nobody wants to be my friend anymore at school because everybody thinks, you know, I'm some super religious freak. Okay, praise God that you have a relationship with him and that you don't have to suffer with the relationship with that other moron. It makes me laugh sometimes because we get all bent out of shape because people don't like us. And you don't even like those people. You ever think about that? How come they don't love me? I said, um, do you even want? No, they're jerks. Then why are you crying about that? Because they want to be accepted. Be accepted by Christ and forget everybody else. Okay? And so in this sake, he's saying, listen, if you are being hated on, if people are pushing you away, if you're suffering, 
Nobody invites me to the parties anymore. Listen, I'll be, I was there. When I, when I said yes to Jesus at 15, slowly and steadily, people stopped calling me. My closest friends, the people I loved with everything in me, they just stopped hitting me up. And I would tell them, like, yo, how come you guys didn't invite me yesterday? And they would say things like, well, we know you don't drink. We know you don't go to the strip club. We know that you don't get high, so why would we invite you? And for a while, I, st- I still kept going because I wanted to be with them. But honestly, I remember one night I was at a kegger and everybody was hammered. And you know what's so messed up about those things? That's the only time they ever wanted to talk to me about Jesus. Is when they were horribly drunk. And they were like, bro, bro, I, I want to be like you. You know, you're, you're a good dude, bro. I don't, I don't like me. And you, bro, you got to be you. Don't do this, man. This is, this is stupid, bro. You, man, you got it. And I'm like, yeah, bro, talk to me when you're sober. But I remember how, I was like, I don't want to, this, one, y'all look stupid. But two, I remember that night I had to drop off every one of them because they were drunk out of their minds and I didn't want them driving. And I would literally, I drove 12 people home. I had a van and I would pick them up and I would unlock their door, drop them inside, lock their door, throw the keys in the mailbox. And I'm like, I'm like the Uber drunk. And I'm just like, I just, you know what? This isn't fun. I don't like this. And that might mean it costs me some relationships with you. But I'm not going to keep doing this just so that you and I can be cool. If you don't respect me for who God called me to be, then I guess we can't be in relationship. And if you do, cool. Because if I'm going to suffer for doing what's right, I'd rather do it for what's right than suffer for doing dumb things. Yeah, being a Christian is going to cost you, and sometimes you're going to go through difficult situations. But the difference between the difficult situations I go through and the rest of the world is I have someone to lean on. And not a person but a savior. I have my relationship with God. I don't understand how somebody goes through a death in the family without the relationship with God. I don't understand. I remember being at a funeral for a a baby girl that died at six weeks and it's the size of a shoebox. And I remember standing there going, I don't understand how someone could be here and not have faith. On Sunday, pastor mentioned uh, our former youth pastor, Pastor John at their church They had a woman, and and I mentioned this to somebody earlier, she was seven months pregnant, pretty much the exact amount of time that my wife is right now. And she was drinking a cup of, a glass of water, and she fainted, and she fell on the glass. The glass broke, cut her jugular, she bled out, and she died. And the baby was taken out, and it was put in the ICU, but a couple days later, the baby didn't survive either, and the baby passed away. And I'm watching the funeral that they had at the church, and I'm watching the husband speak. And he's speaking with such a joy in his heart. And he's speaking with the joy of the Lord. And he's saying, friends, family, I could not endure this. Amazing, intense suffering, if not for my relationship with God. And I know because of this hope that I have in Jesus, that this won't be the last time I see my wife and daughter. I don't understand how someone can suffer without someone to suffer with in Jesus. So if you choose to do that on your own, listen, in this world, we're all going to suffer anyways. So we might as well suffer for doing what is right and with someone than on our own. See, following Jesus, it might cost you relationships and it might cost you some rough times. But if I can be really transparent, what it's really going to cost you to be a follower of Jesus 
is everything. And this is the part that we have the most difficult time with. Is to truly be a disciple of Jesus, it'll cost you everything. To be a disciple of Jesus requires you to sign off on a blank check. To hand it to the Lord and say whatever you need. See, what a lot of times what we do is we say yes to Jesus but with stipulations. I'll give you 80% of me. I'll give you 75% of me. I'll give you 90% of me. But once you creep into that extra percentage, I'm out. See, God, I'll give you this much of me, but I'm going to hold back just enough in case. That would be, again, like my wife saying, Joey, I'm going to give you all of me in marriage. Well, almost all of me. I'm going to keep 10% in, in, a, in a little bank account on the side, in, in a little apartment rented in the corner, just in case. Just in case I get tired of you or annoyed with you. I, I got a bag packed just in case, you know, just in case you do something dumb, I'm ready to leave you. You know what? If she did that, she would have left me already. Because in her heart, she had one foot out the door. And a lot of times, the issue with our relationship with Jesus and those moments that you keep finding yourself in going, where did God go? God didn't go anywhere. You already had one foot out the door and you slipped. And you continue to go in a direction that God never called you to go into. There's no limit to what God may ask of you. Everything belongs to him. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Well, why would he do that? Well, you got to understand this, right? What was in that treasure belonged to whoever owned that field. So he couldn't just take the treasure and be like, hey, look what I found. Because people would have said, well, where did you find that? Oh, I found that in this one field. Well, that treasure is not yours. That belongs to that individual. Right? It's like going into my house and getting a big safe and going, look what I found. That's not yours. That's from my house, my property. It belongs to me. But if you were to buy my property and I leave things there, whatever I leave, that's yours. You own it. So this man, when he found the treasure... He, he buried it low-key so that nobody else would find it. Smart, right? He put it back in the ground. And then he went and he got everything he had to buy the field to own the treasure. You got to be willing to give everything to get everything. See, we want everything from God. But we're not willing to give everything to God. Right? We want God to show up the second we need him. When something crazy happens, when something bad happens, when we're really desperate, when we're in that moment where we say, God, I need you, we expect God to show up at the drop of a hat. But we're not willing to give God 100%. We're not willing to make a commitment to be here every week because, you know, some weeks I'm tired. I got sports, I got basketball, I got this, I got that. I got drama, I got my part-time job, which you don't even get me started on your jobs. <laughs> It may cost you everything you have, but you got to understand you gain so much more than you ever give. When you are willing to give everything you have, and that's the problem, right? We, we hide this little thing behind our back and we say, God, I just can't give you everything. And what you don't see is everything that God has behind his back that he's willing to return to you. God is saying, listen, <clears throat> what little you have is nothing compared to what I have for you, but I can't give you what I have until you exchange what you have. 
right? It's like you have a lottery ticket. But the lottery ticket is so precious to you that you never cash it in. And so you never get the money. And you walk around going, I won, I won, I won. And it's like, buddy, you won that 12 years ago. When are you going to cash it in? No, no, no. This is the winning ticket. I can't cash it in. But the whole point of the ticket was to cash it in. So a lot of us, we praise and profess our relationship with God, but we never cashed it in. We never gave everything in. And because we didn't give in, we didn't get out. We didn't receive anything from it. So that's why some of us, we struggle in our walk with God. We wonder why God doesn't accept us or, 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 or help us or why God isn't in the middle of it. And what we think is, well, God doesn't like me. Or God is not pleased with me. And God say, no, I just don't have all of you. Because you still got one foot out the door. If you want to be with me, be with me. And here's the deal. None of you in this room would accept that from anybody else on the planet. Right? Fellas, you, if a lady came up to you and said, Man, you're so cute, you're so, I want to be with you. And you're like, oh, obviously, yes. And she goes, but just to give you a heads up, I got two or three other guys on the side. But you, you're number one. You're number one. You're my main boo. I come home to you. I'm just letting you know there's two or three that are going to get a little bit of my attention. I got my Tuesday and Thursday. But you, baby, you all weekend is you. Right? If you're dumb, you'd be like, I mean, at least I get around the weekends. <laughs> but if you value yourself, you go, no. If you want all of me, I need all of you. And if you're not willing to give me that, you can't have that. And Jesus, why would he be any different? Jesus said, I'll give you the kingdom. I'll give you everything. Which, by the way, when it comes to what he gives and what we give, it's really lopsided. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying, listen, I'll take your brokenness, your raggedness, your bruised up, jacked up life. And I'll give you an eternal life. A life with me. And a life that involves a relationship with me. But you got to decide. Is it all or is it nothing? Worship team, help me out. One of our greatest problems is that we're indecisive with our walk with God. We say things like, man, I, I really want to or, or I've really been thinking about it or, or man, this has really been on my heart. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. What are you going to do about it though? And we, and listen, as teenagers, let's be honest, we think things like, man, you know what, when I get older, I'm really going to get serious with God. Uh, you know, when, when I get, you know, a job, when I get married, when I, when I have a kid, I'm going to get serious with God. And we say things like that as if that's promised to you. As if you were promised getting older, as if you were promised a spouse and a kid. You make plans for a future that you were never guaranteed. The only guarantee of a future you can have is the one you make today with Christ. Some of us worry, well, what's going to happen in the afterlife? Well, that's all based on what happens in the today life. What you decide in this moment echoes in eternity. But listen to what the Bible goes on to say a few verses later in chapter 14. Luke 14, verse 34 to 35. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good for neither the soil or the manure pile, or the pile of poop. It is thrown away. Anyone who hears should listen and understand. 
What is he saying? He's saying, if you're going to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to become the salt of the earth, as the Bible says. You got to be willing. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Siri trying to get saved tonight, yo. What is he saying? Listen, if you want to be salt, then you got to commit 100%. Because what happens is, listen, we make this decision, right? We, we come up to, to a service like this and, and we respond to a guy like me and we say, yes, I want that. And we make this commitment in this moment. And then we try to live it for a little bit, but we don't really count the cost. We don't really understand what this fully means. A lot of times we respond because it's an emotional thing. A lot of times we respond because we're in a place of hurting or desperation and we just want to feel a little bit better. But we don't count the cost of actually being a lifelong follower of Christ. And so what ends up happening is we find ourselves making that same decision every week. And every week we come up and say, that's what I want. And every week we come up and say, I want Jesus in my life. But we don't commit to it. And what ends up happening is that saltiness starts to go away. Because you're always back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what ends up happening is you're no longer salty and you're no longer good to anybody. See, your, your unbelieving friends don't want you anymore because, you know, half the time you're talking about Jesus. And, and your Jesus friends don't want you no more because half the time you're talking about worldly things. And so you don't fit into any side anymore. So you've lost your saltiness. You're no longer good for the field or the poop. So what happens? You get tossed away. Simply because you're indecisive. Because you are unwilling to count the cost. And say yes or say no. And here's the deal. I don't have a problem if you say no. That's between you and God. That's your eternal life. My responsibility is simply to give you an opportunity to make a decision. But whether you say yes or no, that's between you and God. Because one day you as an individual will stand before God and make that conversation on your own. My hope is that you made the right decision. But listen, you got to count the cost. So we're going to close in a moment. I want you to stand right where you're at. And I'm going to ask you just for a moment, would you close your eyes? And this is the type of response opportunity that I know it's not going to be for a lot of you. And sadly, with this many people in the room, there's a number of you that are going to walk away the same way you walked in. That have no desire to make a decision to be committed to Jesus. And I'm okay with that. Because I'd rather you be honest. My hope is that one day you will. But I also know that one day is not promised. So while I have you here tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. Young lady, young man, I'm not saying... Do you want to come and be a part of this church? I'm not saying, do you want to radically change everything overnight? I'm simply saying this. Are you willing to count the cost right now? Are you willing to look at what it's going to take? Listen, it might cost you some relationships. It might cost you going through some situations that you're not going to want to go through. It'll cost you everything you have, but if we're honest, what you have it's nothing compared to what God can give you. Who you have is nothing compared to who God can be for you. 
Because when your head's on that pillow and nobody else is around but the Spirit of God whispering to your ear saying, I want to be with you. Are you willing to look back and say, Lord, I want to be with you too. This is the greatest proposal you'll ever receive. So with every head bow, every eye closed, this is very personal. I want you real quickly, think about it. Do you really want this? And there are some of you, you've been living that double life. What I believe right now is a moment for you to decide. What are you going to do, one way or the other? Are you with or are you without? Are you going with God or are you not going with God? Because this back and forth thing, it's, it's getting old. So whether this is your first time or whether this is your last time of deciding. With every head bow, every eye closed, if you're here saying, Pastor Joey, I counted the cost. And I want Jesus. I want a relationship with him. I want to know him the way he knows me. I've tried everything else. I'm willing to give God a chance. And I'm willing to give him a full chance with everything in me. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just signal me by lifting up your hand so I know who you are. Whether this is your first time or this is going to be the last time you make this decision. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anyone else says, Pastor, that's me. I'm not going to have you move around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know if that's you. Keep your hand up. Leaders, if you can help me just by going by one of them. I have a few up here in the front. They're just going to put their hand on you in a moment. They're going to be available to talk with you. But I just want to pray. And again, here's the deal. I'm going to ask God to come into your life. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room if you would just help me by repeating after me. And listen, even if you didn't raise your hand, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. You don't have to do a bunch of classes. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Do you believe? So even if you didn't raise your hand, but you believe in your heart, maybe it's like, hey, listen, I'm new here. This is a little embarrassing, but I know what I need. Then I want you to believe it with us. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room, would you just repeat after me and say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I don't deserve this relationship with you. But I know that you want one. I know that you were willing to die on the cross to have a relationship with me. So I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins, to help me to live this new life the way you've called me to live. No matter the cost, no matter the stakes, me and you, now and forever. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise for him real quick? Now listen, we're going to get ready to dismiss, but I want to encourage you. If you rose your hand tonight and you want to talk about this a little bit more, you want to understand a little bit better of what this just happened, what decision you made, our leaders are going to be available here tonight. They're going to be hanging out. Don't be in a rush out. If you're new and you're like, hey, listen, I was on the fence but I just don't know enough to really make a decision like that. Feel free to talk to one of us. We can explain more or we can have that conversation. Uh, we want to make sure that there's an opportunity. And then lastly, momentum registration. Again, if you want to go, get your form in, fill it out, get signed up. We got a few more weeks before we're getting ready to go. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow in small groups.